Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. This will be part three in our discussion of vicarious atonement, origins, and correct understanding. What rabbinic Judaism conceals and Christianity misrepresents. You may recall that in part two, we ended our discussion where we were just about to really get into the heart of the discussion, of the matter, of the meat of the subject. We were going to begin by discussing the power of a tzaddik's merit. Now, what do I mean by tzaddik? Sometimes people also translate it as tzaddik. Well, tzaddik is a Hebrew term that is roughly translated as a righteous person or a pious person. However, righteous doesn't really capture the depth of meaning. It is used to refer to those who stand before God as being much holier than their contemporaries. So if you have people within a generation that are holier, much, much holier and more righteous than those within, than others within the generation, then that person could be considered a tzaddik or a tzaddik. The meaning of the word goes far beyond the somewhat overused term righteous. The tzaddik is a person who possesses an elevated soul, a soul of superior purity that is far less tainted by the stain of sin or not tainted at all. Throughout history, there have been very few true tzaddikim, which is the plural term for tzaddik. There are many levels of a tzaddik, and this is important to understand. There are many different levels of, of tzaddikim, and those levels are determined by the, de- the degree of holiness and the righteousness which any individual tzaddik demonstrates. Their holiness is a measure of the extent to which they have overcome the yetzirah, or the evil inclination, otherwise known in the New Testament as the carnal nature. It's a measure of the extent to which they have overcome the yetzirah within them and which all humans possess, all humans, including Tadakim. The Tadakim also possess this Yetzirah. It's just that they have overcome it far more than their contemporaries within their generation. This evil inclination is the self, or the ego, that is within each and every one of us. As a Tadak achieves righteousness, he or she grows closer to God by aligning his or her will with God's will, at the same time by dying to self, as the New Testament teaches, or nullifying or negating self, which is also another way you could describe that. Basically, it's removing your ego. A tzaddik transforms himself or herself from being selfish to being selfless from being self-focused to being God-focused. As this transformation occurs, the power of temptation and the resulting sin that may occur from succumbing to it is reduced. This is because sin, at the most basic level, is the elevation and satisfaction of the desires of self. As self or ego is extinguished, so too is the power of temptation. A tzaddik is someone who demonstrates very high levels of self-control and purity from sin. The greatest of all tzaddikim is called the 
completed tzaddik. Such a person is a perfected human who has completely overcome the power of temptation. This makes them truly perfect, sinless, and therefore one with God. And I will touch upon that later. And by the way, again, everything I'm saying here comes from Jewish material, from rabbinic or Akiva Judaism's material. Even they say that a completed tzaddik can be one with God. Now, those Christians out there, you may remember someone else that said he and God were one. That's because that individual, of course I'm referring to Yeshua, was himself the completed tzaddik. Now, Judaism, that is Akiva Judaism, or Rabbinic Judaism, unambiguously teaches that people receive benefit from and even vicarious atonement through the devotion and holiness of a single individual, a tzaddik. Listen on for more proof as I quote from Rabbinic Judaism's own material. They do indeed. Again, they teach. They teach. Rabbinic Judaism teaches that people can receive atonement through a tzaddik. They can receive merit through a tzaddik. Let's start with a reading from Numbers chapter 13, verse 20. Now, I will briefly illustrate the fundamental concept of the power of a tzaddik using the stone edition Chumash, published by Mizrah Publications. Now, Chumash, that's just referring to the first five, five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The stone edition Chumash is one of numerous Chumash, which have commentary, and this is a Jewish publication, okay? You will often find this stone edition Chumash in Orthodox Jewish synagogues. It is a standard, a standard reference source within Rabbinic Judaism, the stone edition Chumash, and I'm going to be reading from it, okay? I will do so, that is, I will illustrate the concept of the power of a tzaddik, by showing or, or basically reading to you comments within that publication in which a tzaddik or righteous person is mentioned. There are many similar comments regarding numerous biblical characters within the scripture. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, etc. There's many comments that are similar to what you'll be hearing to be found throughout virtually any Jewish Torah commentary you can find. And those similar comments illustrate how the merit of a tzaddik or tzaddik affects one or many people, including entire nations, such as Israel, for instance. The quotations I will provide are probably not even the best examples, to be honest. I just sort of, <laughs> to be blunt, I just sort of very quickly threw them together, all right? There were so many from which to choose I decided to simply select a couple of them to illustrate my point instead of laboring over which to use. Examples I chose also do not necessarily represent major characters, that is, the patriarchs, matriarchs, kings, major prophets, etc. One, for instance, is a non-Israelite, a non-Jew, a goy. Imagine the dramatically increased effects of even higher-level tzaddikim, whose examples I do not present within this particular area of our discussion. 
So again, the first quote will come from page 801 of the Stone Edition Chumash. The comment is with respect to passages from Torah which describe certain men being sent into the land of Israel to spy it out prior to the Israelites going in to possess it. This particular comment is referring to Numbers chapter 13, verse 20. Irrespective of the comment, the point I wish to make is with regards to the power of a tzaddik or tzaddik as taught within Judaism. And this is a quote from the commentary on Numbers 13, verse 20. Quote, Are there trees in it? Rashi comments that Moses' reference to a tree was an allusion to a tzaddik, for he wanted the spies to learn if the land had a righteous person in whose merit the inhabitants would be sheltered from attack, end quote. Now, a couple of things. First of all, notice this is a comment from Rashi. Now, I previously in the earlier parts talked about Rashi and how Rashi is considered the father of, of commentators, particularly Talmudic commentary. And also that Rashi tends to be less messianic in terms of interpreting passages of the Tanakh, less messianic than other rabbis. But this is from Rashi. Okay? Again, reference to referencing Numbers chapter 13, verse 20. So what it's discussing here is you recall in the Torah that Moses sent spies into Israel. Of course, they came back and they gave a bad report and that resulted in them having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, etc., etc. But here is where he, he actually sent in the spies. And the, within the, the actual passage, there's a, there's a phrase that asks, are there trees in it? Rashi comments that what that is referring to is whether or not there, was a, there were tzaddikim, whether or not there was a tzaddik, a righteous person. Now remember, these are not Israelites that they're going in to spy the land out. These are Canaanites. So he's asking, are there, is there a righteous Canaanite that who's, because of whose righteousness they would be sheltered from attack? In other words, they're wanting to know, are, are there Tzadikim in the land? Because if they are, that may make it more difficult for them to attack the land, to, to overcome and take possession of the land. Because the merit of that righteous person, and again, this is not a Jew, this is a Gentile. These are Goyim they're talking about here being righteous. That the merit of that, those potential righteous Goyim, or Gentiles, could hamper their efforts in taking possession of the land. I mean, people, the comment speaks for itself. Take note of how the aforementioned renowned Jewish rabbi Rashi, as I said, explains that deeper meaning of the question, are there trees in it? And basically, he explains it again. Is the explanation is that Moses was asking whether or not the land possessed a tzaddik, which if it did, it may cause the people of the land to be protected from the Israelites. The merit of, of such a tzaddik would be the reason for that protection. Therefore, obviously, the power of the tzaddik would have extended to encompass and benefit other inhabitants of the land that the Israelites were entering. Also note that this particular tzaddik, as I said, was not an Israelite, which clearly shows that there are righteous people, or tzaddikim, among non-Jews, among the Gentiles. 
now referring to Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And I'm still reading from that Chumash, that Jewish publication, that common publication you can find in Orthodox synagogues. So, let's look at the next example. And it's taken from page 843 of the Chumash. It is a portion of the commentary for Numbers 20, verses 1 and 2, as I said. Please note where the commentary explicitly states that the death of righteous people atones for the nation. Okay? It explicitly states that. Now, it cannot be stated more clearly. And again, this is a direct quote. Direct quote from this Jewish publication. This Orthodox Jewish publication. The first quote. Quote, Miriam, that is, she of course was the sister of Moses, Miriam's death and the lack of water. The death of Miriam is juxtaposed with the chapter of the red cow, though they were widely separated chronologically, to teach that just as the offerings bring atonement to the nation, that is to Israel, so does the death of righteous people. Did you hear that? Again, this is from an Orthodox Jewish publication, and they state, just as offerings bring atonement to the nation, or Israel, so does the death of righteous people. What does the death of righteous people do? It brings atonement. Again, from an Orthodox Jewish publication. So here, within one of Judaism's primary English language Torah commentaries, is a comment from a rabbi, once again Rashi, who is among the most exalted Torah sages of Judaic history. And in it, it is plainly and undeniably stated that atonement for others can be achieved through the death of righteous people. There is no way to misunderstand the statement, which is taken directly from a rabbinic Judaism source. And there is likewise no way a Jewish-based counter-missionary can deny it. It's very simple. You can't misunderstand that statement. As a final example from that same commentary, Please notice this is actually a continuation of the comments from verse 2. Let's read on with another quote. This is, this is continuing the commentary for Numbers 20, verses 1 and 2. Quote, There was no water for the assembly. The Torah does not record that the assembly wept at her death, they're talking about Miriam's death, as they did after the deaths of Moses and Aaron. Indeed, because they did not shed tears over the loss of Miriam, the source of their water dried up, for it was as if her merit did not matter to them. The comment I just read, the quote I just read, is referring to the lack of water that was being experienced and states that the merit of Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, as a righteous person, as a tzaddik or tzaddik, was such that when the Israelites failed to properly mourn her death, the water stopped flowing. They ran out of water. There was no water for them. So once again, we see an example of the power of a tzaddik, excuse me, of a tzaddik's merit. Because of the merit of Miriam, because the merit of Miriam, a tzaddik was so great, since the Israelites did not properly mourn for her, God ceased giving them water. Now what we're talking about here in general 
people is the power of tzaddik. Now, it can go either way. It can go either way. So, for instance, in this case, it went the opposite direction. Since they did not merit her properly, they were punished. But a, a tzaddik can also do the opposite. It can bring blessings to people. So it, it, it can. what we're discussing is the general power of a tzaddik, of a tzaddik. So let's have a summary thus far. The merit of a tzaddik can assist others. That is a long-established foundational belief within rabbinic Judaism. More accurately stated, a tzaddik can extend his or her merit to other individuals. It is a form, of, and this is important, it is a form of merit sharing, whereby the tzaddik's merit, and by extension, the righteousness of that tzaddik, is shared with others. Though I will not elaborate, the opposite, as I said, is also true. The evil of an individual can likewise cause problems to fall upon other individuals. For instance, an evil leader of a nation uh, can cause curses to come upon that nation. So again, it goes both ways. You, uh, merit can be shared, and also the negativity of an individual can be shared. All right, We're talking about how individuals can impact other people. But right now, we're really focusing on a Sadiq and how they have there's a method of sharing their merit, and we'll get further into that as we continue. All right. By virtue of the power of a tzaddik to transfer or share merit, it is possible for a tzaddik to bring about protection for others or to bring about atonement for others. However, it must be understood that atonement is not obtained in the effortless way common to Christianity. Christianity gets it completely wrong. It's not effortless atonement. A primary and enormously tragic error of Christianity is the defective definition it applies to atonement. So, let's now discuss the correct concept of atonement through its adik. Now, I will quote from the primary source for this discussion, which expands upon the obvious examples already shown. Now, again, I just read from a, a, basically two verses, just a few verses from the Torah, and some commentary for their, those verses. There's a lot more material I could have presented. Okay, Those are just two typical examples. And what do they show? That a tzaddik can even bring atonement to people. That a tzaddik can transfer merit to other people that a tzaddik has power. A truly righteous person has power. And you may recall in the epistle of James, he's, what does he say? The power of a righteous person availeth much. What he would have said, being a Hebrew, is basically the power of a tzaddik is great. That's what he would have said. That's what he's saying there, that the power of a tzaddik is very great. So we have it right there in the New Testament where it describes the power of a tzaddik. All right, so as I said, I'm now going to be quoting from the primary source for this series. The book from which I'll be quoting is called The Way of God, known in Hebrew as Derek Hashem, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lozato. It is considered a Torah classic 
and is sold as such by Feldheim Publishers. Now, who is Moshe Kaim Lozato? Rabbi Moshe Kaim Lozato was, as is as known by the Hebrew acronym Ramkal. Ramkal was a prominent Italian Jewish rabbi, Kabbalist, and philosopher of the 18th century. He was born in Padua, Italy in 1707 and died in Israel in 1743. Ramkal noticed he was a relatively young man from 1707 to 1743. Ramkal is among the foremost of Judaism's past masters of Musar and Kabbalah. He is tremendously revered today, and his writings are increasingly popular and widely read. In fact, his writings and teachings are experience, experiencing an explosion in popularity, even among people outside of the Jewish faith. I, for instance, cherish his books, books and spend much of my time studying Remkal's material. I have several of Remkal's books translated into English. His writings and similar material found elsewhere within Judaic literature more properly explains atonement by clarifying details that are absent from the New Testament. They correct the overly simplistic and generally defective understanding of Christianity. However, they nonetheless support most of the teachings of the Apostle Paul, the Gospels, and basically the entire New Testament. Of course, I'm referring to the New Testament as properly understood from its true and original Hebraic and Torah mindset. I am not referring to Christianity's unhebraic, anti-Torah distorted mindset, which severely misrepresents the New Testament. The New Testament is correct. Christianity's general interpretation of it, and thus Christianity itself, is very incorrect. The New Testament defines a faith system that is profoundly different than what is seen within Christianity. The rift between Judaism and Christianity actually has more to do with what Christianity teaches than it does with what the New Testament teaches. Certainly, there are a few things in the New Testament that would be rejected by Rabbinic Judaism anyway, such as in the New Testament, we find the, they basically identify Yeshua as Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah son of Joseph, and that he will return in the future as Messiah ben David, Messiah son of David. Also in the New Testament, you will find opposition to rabbinic Judaism's severe elitism. You'll also find in the New Testament opposition to rabbinic Judaism's horrendous authoritarian rabbinic tyranny, the authoritarian rabbinic control that rabbinic Judaism exerts. And finally, you'll find in the New Testament opposition to the burdensome aspects, aspects of some Durbanans, that is, rabbinic dictates which are not found within the written Torah, and there are a lot of them. And as I say elsewhere, even Messiah basically openly, openly rejected and rebuked the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the precursors, the forerunners, the creators of rabbinic Judaism, which came in the early 2nd and late 1st century. And virtually every single miracle Yeshua did was a direct affront, a direct violation of a rabbinic decree. He never violated the Torah, 
but he openly and publicly violated rabbinic decrees, and the rabbis, the Pharisees at that time, absolutely hated him for it. And that's why some of them wanted to kill him. The Pharisees now, not all the Jews. He had many, many followers who were Jewish. But the Pharisees, he was basically chopping down their tree of authority. And they didn't like that, so they wanted to get that axe out of his hands. And the way to do it, we got to get rid of him. But he directly opposed the Rabbanans, rabbinic dictates, which is where rabbis get their power. So they had to get rid of him. So those are the four things that you will find that are obviously different from what you'll find in rabbinic Judaism. But be that as it may, the tragically incorrect interpretation of the New Testament by Christianity due to the defective mindset present since the 4th century of the Common Era, plus the horrific persecutions and tyranny against the Jews by Christianity in the name of Jesus, are overwhelmingly the real reasons for the division between those two great world religions. And I'll say it now, and I say it elsewhere, and a lot of Christians do not like it, but tough, deal with it, because it's a a historic fact. Christianity is the most ruthless, bloodthirsty, and tyrannical terrorist organization the world has ever known. Why? Because it lasted over a thousand years. It lasted centuries. The terrorism of Christianity, which eclipses any other terrorism that has ever been known on earth, was from Christianity, and it lasted longer, far, far longer than any other terrorist organization. And Christians need to repent of the terrorism of Christianity. But instead, most Christians don't even want to hear about it and get mad when they're told, even though most Christians know it's true but they have no idea how bad it was. Okay, so now I'm going to jump into quotes from The Way of God, the book I mentioned earlier, or Derek Hashem in in Hebrew. Now, at this point, I could jump into it and finish, but it would probably go, it would take this conversation past an hour. I'm almost certain it would go beyond an hour. So I think what I'm going to do here, this is a good place to pause. I'm going to pause here because a lot of people, you know, different people have a limit as to how long they can focus on something and concentrate. We're coming up on 30 minutes. So I'm going to pause here in part three. And in part four, we will get into the primary source information, which is taken from Moshe Kamlazato's Derek Hashem, or the way of God. And yes, you will see these quotes that you will hear exactly match the atoning work of Messiah. Exactly. So, come back and hear it because it's very important. And this is the information that once you know it, you will never be able, you'll never again be defeated by any Jewish based kind of missionary who lies, or is too ignorant to know, when they say vicarious atonement is not taught within the Torah, because you will have proof that, yes, it is indeed taught within the Torah and taught within rabbinic Judaism. So thank you for listening to part three, and stay tuned for the best part, part four, 
in which we will get into the amazing proofs from Judaism's own material supporting vicarious atonement. So thank you again, and goodbye.